Well, we're talking about comebacks. We're in the last of a four-part series, and uh, and I've really enjoyed this series. It's it's been a great study. Um, when I was in our life group about three weeks ago, someone said, "You know, the whole Bible is a comeback story." You know, everybody that you read about in, in God's Word, uh, when they, they they had a tremendous comeback story in coming back to God. And, you know, when we've looked at these comeback stories, it's not about the person and the great things that they did. The comeback story is really all about God and who God is and how God uh, lavishes us, pours out his grace and mercy and redeems our lives when we trust him. And so this morning we are going to be looking at the greatest comeback story of all because that's that's what this story um, allows all of us the opportunity to come back. And uh, so I want to talk about the implications of Jesus' comeback. And I want to talk about some of his promises this morning. You know, when we read God's word, when God promises something, you can always count on it happening. Now, it's not going to be on your timetable. Okay? We all have our own agenda. We have our own calendars. And we expect God to do certain things. But he doesn't operate according to our calendar. Think about when uh, Jesus, God promised Adam and Eve in the garden. After they had fallen, God promised that he would send Someone who would crush the head of the serpent. And that was speaking of the Messiah. You know how long God, it took God to fulfill that promise? Probably about 5,000 years. Go to the life of Abraham. God told Abraham that he was going to make them, him a father of a great nation. Abraham didn't have any offspring. It took 70 Five years, or tw- I'm sorry, 25 years for the son of promise to come along in Isaac. You know how long it took for God to provide Abraham the promised land? Nearly 500 years. Jesus rose today. We're, we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Forty days from now, Jesus will ascend to go be with the Father. But he said he was going to return. And here we are waiting 2,000 years later for Jesus to fulfill his promise. But we don't have to disbelieve. We don't have to doubt. Because whatever God promises, he is going to fulfill. And how do we know that? Because of today, because of Friday. Jesus said, they're going to kill me. And in three days, three days later, I am going to rise from the dead. In John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, he told his disciples that uh, this temple will be destroyed, but I will build it again in three days. He wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about the temple of his body. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus talks about Jonah. 
You know the story of Jonah, and he was swallowed by that great fish, and he was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. Jesus says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so I will be in the earth for three days and three nights. But death will not be able to hold me. Listen, if Jesus was still in his grave, if, Je- if, the, if the tomb was still occupied, uh, we, we would be the most miserable, pitied people on the planet because we would have no hope. We would still be caught in our trespasses and sin. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But I know you're here today. And I'm here today because you want to be told, you want to hear that Jesus is alive. And my friends, he is alive and we can take Jesus at his word. Whatever Jesus promises, whatever Jesus tells us, we can believe that it's going to happen. We can trust him. So I want us to look at a a popular passage this morning that's read at funeral and memorial service. In fact, I had the opportunity to uh, do Dorothy Scholl's service a couple weeks ago, and I thought, you know what? That message is appropriate for today. And so if you have your Bibles, we're looking at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. It's Friday night. Some horrific things are about to go down. And Jesus encourages his disciples with these words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the, res- I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The tomb is empty this morning, church. And because of that fact, we can believe some things about Jesus' words. Three things that Jesus is telling us here in this passage of Scripture. The first is, trust my presence. Trust Jesus' presence. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The disciples believed in God. They had never seen God. God is spirit, but they knew that God existed. Jesus says, just as you believe in God, you believe in me. Because I'm going away. I'm going away for a short period of time, and I'm going away for a long period of time. But my presence 
is always going to be with you just like God. You believe him, you believe me. And it's Friday night. The disciples don't know what's coming. Jesus does. And Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust what I'm about to do. Trust my presence. And we can trust his presence because of today. Jesus validated his words when he came back from the grave. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, he says, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus lives. Don't let your heart be troubled. What else did Jesus say about his presence? Well, a little later in John chapter 14, he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And when Jesus ascended to the Father, the Spirit came. And that is just like having the presence of Jesus. We are not alone. I don't know why you're here this morning or what's been occurring in your life. And you may feel all alone, but I'm here to say to you that if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, just as God is real, Jesus is real. And he hasn't left you as an orphan. Now, how does he come to us? How do we sense his presence? How do, how do we know him? Look at John chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. Again, in this same ch- chapter, Judas, not Iscariot, said to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You need to underline that. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You can know the presence of the person of Jesus Christ in your life when you take time to read this book. And when you keep his word, the Bible says, the Father and the Son come and make their abode with you. Your heart becomes their home. But you need to know the word. And that's why we stress life groups. You're not going to get all that there is to glean from a message this morning. It's in the, in the, in those home groups that you're able to discuss and ask questions and, uh, and dig through the scripture together and apply the text to your life. You need to know this book. The disciples feared. 
this weekend after they watched their Lord and Savior crucified. Their hearts were really troubled. Why? Because they had forgotten what Jesus had said. That's human nature. We all default to our fears. But we don't have to if we know the word. So Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust trust my presence. Even if all hell breaks loose. Trust my presence. The second implication from the resurrection is that we can trust Jesus' promises. Verse 2, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Once Jesus ascended to be with the Father in heaven, Jesus didn't go to just retire. No, he's been busy for the last 2,000 years preparing a room for you. Preparing a room for me. And where is this room? It's in his father's house. In his father's house are many rooms. If you grew up in a loving home with a loving father, you know what it's like to go home for the the holidays. You know what to look forward to and being in your father's presence. That's that's our loving heavenly father. In chapters 13 through 17 of jo- the gospel of John, the name father is mentioned 53 times. We have something really fantastic to look forward to because our father is there and Jesus is preparing this room for us. There was a, there was a young boy who was about to die and he knew he was dying and he asked his dad, dad, what's it like to die? Dad took a big deep breath and it was emotional in saying this. He said, well, son, Ever since you've been sick, there's been many nights where you have fallen asleep on the couch watching your favorite show. And when that happens, I would come to the couch and I would pick you up in my arms and I would carry you to the room that I made for you. He said, son, when you close your eyes, For the very last time, Jesus is going to come and he's going to pick you up in his arms and he's going to carry you to the room that he made for you. And it's in his father's house and it is a beautiful place to be. That's what Jesus promises. And we can believe that promise because of today. Because Jesus conquered 
sin and death. You know, in this, in his father's house, there's not going to be any more suffering in that place. No more tears. You know, for some people, when you get to heaven, there's going to be tears in your eyes because it was hard getting there. It was hard walking through that door and, and the things you had to go through physically. But when you get into Jesus's arms, he's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. And there's going to be no more pain or suffering. Revelation 21, 4 says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. No more pain for the former things have passed away. In our father's house, there's no more terrorist attacks. There's no more refugee camps. There's no more poverty or famine. There's no more doomsters or alarmists. Praise God, there's no more elections. Lord Jesus, come quickly. There's no more counting calories. There's no more scales. There's no more diets. Thinking about diets, I'm going to toot my horn for a moment. Uh, this past week, you no longer have an obese pastor. I am officially overweight. And so far, I've lost 61 pounds. Yeah. And uh, I feel a whole lot better. I still got got some to go, but uh, uh, sweating for the weddings. Amen? But uh, this is what we have to look forward to. No more pain or sorrow. What else did Jesus promise? Jesus promised tribulation. In this world, we're going to have problems. John sixteen thirty three says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm not leaving you alone. You're not going to be an or- orphan. I am here, and you're going to have rough times, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Hang in there. Watch me. Jesus also promised help. How many times have we needed God's help? God God doesn't want us to live this life alone. To grin and bear it and just, you know, work through it ourselves. No. He wants to help. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And how many times can I testify, you know, I'm stressing over something that's on the horizon. And I'm trying to figure it out myself. 
And as a last resort, I'll say, God, help. And it's amazing how he helps. How he lightens the load. I don't avoid it. I I can't avoid it. I've got to go through it, but I don't go through it alone. Nor does he want you to go through it alone. He promises to help. And finally, in this passage of scripture in verse 3, Jesus promises to personally receive us when we get on the other side. You are going to be welcome into the loving, everlasting arms of Jesus. Some of you are almost there. And you're a little fearful. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I will personally receive you to myself. And then the third implication of the resurrection. In this passage of scripture, Jesus says, trust me. Trust Jesus. Jesus is saying that there is only one way to my father's house. If you look at other religions of the world, some will say, oh, there's many paths. Just pick a path that fits you, and it'll all work out. There's other religions that say, no, there's some hard work involved. You've got you've to follow this list. And even in following this list, there's no guarantee that you're in. And you're just, it's, it's, it's a motivation of fear. But with Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, Jesus was telling his disciples, you know where I'm going. And Thomas spoke up and said, Jesus, we don't have a clue where you're going. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't point the way. Jesus didn't hand the disciples a map and say, here, figure this out. Jesus said, look to me. Look to me. I am the way, the truth. And the life. And when you come to me, you're coming to my father's house. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, how can Jesus be so dogmatic? How can Jesus be so narrow-minded that there's only one way and it's his way? It's because of today. Jesus said he was going to die. Jesus said he was going to come back to life. And because he said these things, because he did these things, we can trust him for so much more. When God promises something, he is going to follow through. Again, not on your calendar, not by your watch, by his
trust Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know Jesus this morning? Oh, He wants you to. He loves you. He died for you. And if you'll just believe Him, His words, that He died for you, that He came back to life, there'll be a comeback in your life. Let's pray. The Spirit of God is talking to you this morning. Come to Jesus. Come home. Confess. Admit your failures. You're not going to tell him anything he doesn't already know. But by confessing, you're admitting that you're wrong and he's right. And he wants to forgive. He wants you to become his child. If you need to make that decision today, we're going to sing in just a moment. I encourage you to to leave your seat and, and go to the high school room, which is just south of the dining hall. There's there, there are those there that could talk to you about how to have a relationship with Jesus. Some of you are Christians, but you've wandered away. I want you to know that you haven't done anything that has diminished God's love for you. And how do I know that? The prodigal son. The son just wanted to be, come home and be the slave, the father's slave. And the father would have nothing to do with that. The son came home and it was time to celebrate. And he did nothing to deserve that. That's the amazing grace of our Father. Come home. Father, I thank you for today. The significance of today. Lord, you know every heart in this room. You know the struggles that individuals have been going through. God, I pray that they would know that they're not alone. Your presence is here and wants to invade their hearts. So, Father, I pray that people would choose to surrender to your ways this morning. As we crown you king, you are the worthy king. In Jesus' name.